After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. 
and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I'll tell you, we got a lot of news to get to on today's show, including some comments from Joe Rogan about Nick Diaz, a video of Chemayev and Buckley that's been going around, and also the latest on the possibility of a boxing match between Jake Paul and Michael Bisping. All of that to come, but first, I want to begin with the latest out of the middleweight division. So let's circle back to something that came up yesterday, which is an opportunity in a co-main event spot to take on Marvin Vittori, right? So this rumor came out that Whitaker couldn't make the date. Vittori wants to preserve the date that he's already prepared for. It's only six weeks away. He's looking for opponents, and Vittori suggested Till. Now, I like that match very much. I would love that match if it was not a main event. And as of yesterday, I didn't know where the placement on the card of Whitaker versus Vittori was. It just got past me. I had to go do a little bit of research. Well, now I find out the main event is Glover Teixeira, which means this is a co-main event, which means Darren Till, who's working on things, he's changing things. That's what the entire alliance and going out to Sweden and this Chemaya relationship is all about, changing things up hoping to prepare differently, to perform differently. I love the idea that Darren Till can test that theory in 15 minutes. I don't really care who the opponent is. I truly don't. I think that Till has shown he can go with anybody. I think that Till has shown he's as good as anybody. I think whenever you're in one of those tough spots, if you can get out there for three rounds as opposed to five, you're much better off, and this might be the opportunity. So that's a spot that I would like to see. I would really like for Till not to just take that fight, but to bang the drum and demand that he gets the fight. I think a lot of stuff makes sense there. Look, that's a hard night out for anybody. But Till's a hard night out for anybody. And Vittori thinks that he knows Till. We all think that we know Till. But then we're confronted with the fact, no, Till's doing something different now. Till's working on different things now, and he's been doing it for a meaningful period of time. He's probably going to be different, right? Both guys are going to be apprehensive. Both the guys' anxiety is going to be up. Us as fans, we're going to tune in. I think that a lot of it makes sense. Now, six weeks traditionally for anybody is a little bit of a quick turnaround, but Till's been working his ass off, and I think he can do it, and I'll stand by that. But Paula Costa came in. Now, I need to explain this because I believe that Paulo Acosta values my opinion. I believe that because I was in a mentorship role when I met Paulo Costa. I was a coach of the Ultimate Fighter, which he came from. Now, I was not his coach. I was an opposing coach. But I very much did care about him and that entire team. And I got to say the same for Vandalay. He didn't only look after his guys. He did care about everybody going through that experience. So I think that Paulo values my opinion. And until he tells me otherwise, which in fairness would hurt my feelings, but I'm going to continue to give it to him. Because I think he matters. And I think he's a monster. But I think like everybody, he gets so close to the tree, sometimes he can't stand back and see the forest. Paulo Costa is saying he would like to fight Marvin Vittori. Great. Paulo Costa has never called for an easy fight. He has a tremendous amount of courage. He also has two blemishes. One of them was to Vittori, and he would like to get it back. Why I say he's a little bit too close to the trees. I don't know that Paulo sees it from Marvin's standpoint. First off, Marvin already did it. Second, Paulo's a really dangerous fight. He's a really hard night out. So when you get away with one, you get it behind you, you don't look to revisit it for no reason. And a co-main event spot would be for no reason, okay? In addition to that, Paulo does need to remember he changed the deal on Marvin not once but twice. 
He changed it to 195 pounds, and then he changed it to 205 pounds. So Vittori's got to be looking at him and going, man, hey, I, I can't do business with you right now. I just can't. I think we all agree pretty unanimously that Paulo needs to go to, to 205 pounds. We're going to have to accept that he's not. He's going to make another run at 185. But who that opponent is going to be isn't the one that needs to be giving concessions, not in this case, not for Marvin Vittori. Now, I also bring Paulo up because he was offered, allegedly, a fight with Luke Rockhall. And Luke was going after Paulo pretty hard, but Paulo dismissed it. He said, no, I want a higher-ranked guy. And that's the part, no, Paulo, Paulo, you have a chance to fight a former world champion, particularly if you think you're going to beat it. That's the match that you want. Forget about the rankings, because nobody knows them anyway. You're never going to get credit for being a ranked guy, for being ranked yourself or for beating a ranked guy. You will, ne Sports Center's never going to break in. Jim Rome's never going to cover. Dan Lebitard doesn't even know. I mean, when I tell you that you will get nowhere because of the rankings, that is a literal statement. None of us fans will know. We're not going to see you go and fight your heart out and you lost, but boy, it was to the number two ranked guy. You sure did a good job. We, oh, we only know if you won or lost. And then there's fights that we want to see, which this is a star-driven business. Luke Rockholt is a main eventer who is a world champion who's been out. There's no bigger fight, not a main event, not a title fight. There's no bigger fight than your comeback fight. You got to leave so that you can come back and have it or you've done your career wrong. And if Paulo Costa had the opportunity to be standing across from a former champion that people know and that people want to see, I would just really encourage that. I'm going to have to bite down on the bullet because I'm not going to be getting my way. I don't want Paulo at 185. I think Paulo is an instant contender at 205. I think Paulo's got a very hard path back to a championship opportunity at 185. I'm imagining that Adesanya is going to want some fresh blood. Oh, and by the way, it happens to be out there. Cannoneer represents that. Sean Strickland represents that. Alex Pierre represents that. And I think that that would incite and entice Adesanya more. I think I could come up with a very easy path to get Glover in there. I apologize. Paulo Costa in there with Glover. I think I could do it in one fight, and I guarantee you I don't need more than two. Which means within one calendar year, Paulo Costa at a new weight class where he's more comfortable, he's going to feel better. He's going to like being able to focus on the sport as opposed to beating the, the opponent the day before, known as the scale. And in one year, he could be having the same opportunity. I think that. I really believe it. But it's going to be an attitude. Got to go back to when Paulo was hungry. Got to go back before he got his name out there, before he got his big attention. That does something to all of us. We all love to say, oh, if I get in that spot, I'm not going to change. Well, few of us get there. And most of the ones that we observe that do, do change a little bit. And Paulo's going to have to go back and refine that humility. Go back and refine that hunger. When he did not care who the opponent was. He didn't care the placement on the card. He didn't care what it was going to pay. He wanted to go out there and compete. That's within him somewhere. I want to get my way. I want him to go 205 pounds. And I'm very confident in telling you, Vittori is not going to fight Paulo Costa right now. Not after the weight debacle. And this is short notice and he already got done doing it. I'm very confident in telling you that. And I'd like to see Darren Till come in and do that spot. But as much as I think that it's a great opportunity that Till really needs to consider, and he's going to have to make this decision, I mean today, I guarantee on the second floor at the UFC, they are working on that replacement fight right now. Till needs to go out and get that right now, unless he doesn't agree with me. And then Paulo Costa back to Luke Rockholt. That's the fight. 
Anytime you can get over the world champion. Anytime you can beat a more recognizable name. A re more recognizable name is a much better victory than a higher ranked opponent. So that's the news out of the middleweight division. Speaking of which, I saw a video going around featuring some big name middleweights and the always popular Hazma Chamaya. Over the weekend, Joaquin Buckley walks up to, now you gotta understand this, okay? If you haven't seen the clip, and I've gotta give you an establishing shot, they're backstage at a UFC, very relevant. Cause I didn't like this. I really didn't like this. And Buckley walks right up. It's it's uh, the two bros, Darren Till, Hazma Chamaya. They're standing there and Buckley walks right into their space says something somewhat aggressive. He might have, I don't know Buckley. I think that he meant it as fine. I don't think that he had any ill will in his heart. But in fairness to what I saw in the clip, he said something somewhat aggressive to Chemayev and then quickly dismissed him and turns right to Till. And you must understand how close he was. As I'm explaining to you why I didn't like this, he was in his space and he challenges him to a fight. He straight up challenges Darren Till to a fight. Now he's talking about unarmed combat. They even agree to like wait and go over to London and Till is being a gentleman. Till shakes his hand and says, yeah, y'all, I'll do the match with you. At that point, and here's what turned me, Buckley turns to the camera that's filming this whole thing and says, all right, you've got it. You've got it on camera. As though they now have some kind of a verbal commitment. That was the part that turned me off. Because now that means that Buckley, or at least gives the appearance, that Buckley only walked up because he knew a camera was there. There's a time and a place. And backstage at a UFC, when you are surrounded by buffoons who can do tremendous amounts of damage unarmed, it's just not the place. So Buckley turns and Chemayev instantly says to Till, who is that? Now, I trust that Chemayev knows. I trust that that was the condescending. But it still worked in the moment. It did really provide a, a piece of comic relief because then Darren Till responds in what sounds to be an extremely sincere voice. I don't know. That's what he said. So Chemayev then yells to Buckley, you want to fight? We can fight right now. So now Buckley's got to turn around. Right, Buckley's all by himself. That part I did like. I got to give Buckley a pass in fairness. I don't think he was looking to get anything inappropriate. He walked up outnumbered. He went up to two complete studs. He was trying to get himself a match. Like I, I do understand that side of it, but the fact that the camera's there and he was trying to get a little something going and he's doing it in his personal space and he insults Shamaya before he turns and straight up challenges Darren Till. It's uncomfortable. More than anything, it's uncomfortable. I do not like street stuff. I am an extreme prude when it comes to anything that is outside of organized sport. I don't like it. But Chemayev wasn't wrong to stand his ground when he doesn't have a full understanding of the language in the first place. He's going to be reading body language as much as he's going to be listening to verbal language. He knows that a guy just came up, said something to him, and then challenged his friend. I mean, it's one of those things. Like Chemayev would not was not out of bounds saying, you want to fight, we'll fight now. It would have been awful had this happened. And it only happened because Buckley entered the space. Buckley isn't without a fight. 
You guys love watching Buckley. Buckley's fun. Buckley's explosive. Buckley's got a contract. He doesn't need to go up on his own and, and, and play matchmate. He just didn't need to do that. And I think he did it because the camera was there. Now, this isn't, this isn't a big deal. I'm not mad at Buckley. I don't want you guys to be mad at Buckley. I am speaking to a larger point, though, because we have seen guys try to do a variation of this. The entire reason that we never got Leon versus Masvidal into the cage is because they got into that gorilla-style dust-up backstage and the ESPN cameras were rolling. You cannot go out and reward that. That would have been a mega fight. At the time of three-piece and a soda, which, by the way, you could have put on a t-shirt and sold out overnight, that fight was amongst the most compelling in our entire industry. Dana never made it. Dana didn't even think about making it. He didn't even talk about making it because he's not going to reward that kind of behavior. That's going to tell the next guy, oh, great. Right? Everybody in this sport's a copycat. One guy jumps up on stage with a bow tie. Five other guys are up there in a bow tie. One guy gets on stage wearing sunglasses. Five other guys are up there wearing sunglasses. It's one of these things. There hasn't been an autonomous thought in this sport and since I wrote the book on it. So it's just one that you got to be really careful if you're in leadership. If you got a guy walking up to two other straight up badasses and one of them flat out said, I will fight you right now, that is not something you want to happen. And if the entire thing happened as a way of getting yourself a big fight, but only because you knew a camera was there, right? It's a tough spot. No, it's not a tough spot. That's, I don't mean those words. It can't happen. It's got to stop. It's got to stop right now. Do not do this, guys. You're going to get the opposite effect. You saw Cormier and Jones get into it, so then you thought it was a good idea for you. Or maybe you go back even further, and you saw Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson get into it. Or maybe you fast forward a little bit. You saw Conor McGregor and Khabib which went on to have the biggest fight in the sports history. Whatever it is that you're trying to tie and associate yourself to, you've got the timeline all wrong. Conor and Khabib were already going to fight, just so you understand. Lennox and Tyson were already going to fight. They were at a press conference for the fight, of which a bout agreement was already signed. And the same thing goes for Jones and Cormier. you got your timeline way off on this. The only one that you need to associate yourself with that has already happened that you can imagine if you go out and copy that, you're going to get the same result is three piece of a soda, which did not happen, period. I'm just bringing this to your attention because we have so many copycats. Buckley was going for something. In some regard, he, look, he wants to be a feature fight. You go, you go up to England's biggest star. Exactly what he did. You pick the date, you agree to uh, travel overseas to get there, you're probably going to find yourself in a co-main or a main event, right? I mean, Buckley was after something. I'm just, stop. Don't do it anymore. Whoever it is you're copying, don't do it. Do it a much more G-rated way that works all the time, which is go to social media. You want to pick a fight, go do it through social media. Everybody's safe. Everybody's fine. We can celebrate it. We can appreciate it. We can laugh back and forth. I mean, for God's sakes, 24 hours ago, Jake Paul and Michael Bisping did it. It works. It's safe. We can start to pick sides. We can start to have fun. Nobody actually has to get that anxiety up. The two buffoons are going to go fisticuffs, not to mention you put yourself in a situation of two-on-one, and one of the ones was Jemaya. Till was very nice about it. A human being will do whatever it takes to preserve their identity. There is nothing a person wants to lose less. They will part with their money. They will part with their friends. They will part with their reputation long before they part with identity. And Chemayev is... Picked his brand. 27 years old, hungry, undefeated, not in the world's greatest mood. 
doesn't like fake tough guys. I mean, it's one of those things. Pick your audience. I don't feel, I don't feel like that was known. I don't think a line was crossed. I really don't want to bury Buckley at all. But I do want to bring this to your guys' attention. It needs to stop. It needs to stop right now. Buckley won't be fighting Till. They never touched each other. He will not be fighting Till, and you won't be fighting whoever you think you're going to fight if you go out and get in some gorilla crap because somebody's holding the camera. Now, on Wednesday's episode, I told you guys about a rumor of a boxing match between Michael Bisping and Jake Paul. More to come on that, but first, a word about today's sponsor. If you've been looking to level up your financial portfolio, Uncle Chael is here to let you know it's always good to diversify. Why not think about cryptocurrency? Backed by the world's leading investors, Coinbase keeps your portfolio safe and secure while adding crypto into your mix. I've been into this crypto world for quite some time now and Coinbase has made it extremely simple to invest through their trusted and easy to use platform. You can learn to buy, sell and spend cryptocurrency all through one site. They also offer portfolio management and user friendly mobile apps so you can invest on the go. Coinbase supports the most popular digital currencies on the market and makes them accessible to everyone, millions of people. In over 100 countries, trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, guys, start today and do it with Coinbase. Sign up at coinbase.com slash for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only. Be sure you sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash Right, guys, I spoke to Michael Bisping last night. Now, Michael shared something with me that I thought was private. I wasn't going to bring this to you guys. And it had to do with Bisping versus Jake Paul. And Bisping shared with me that there is a commission that not only is willing to sanction this, they're inviting them to come do the fight within their jurisdiction. I wasn't going to talk about that. But in the, in the meanwhile, since Bisping did tell me this, Bisping put this out, the whole world's seen it now. So... I, I don't know a lot if they're going to go to Manitoba or wherever this was. I don't know if this place has a venue. I don't even know if that's viable. But the option does exist, and Bisping is at least publicly letting you know this option does exist, which means this fight can happen. Why would he do that? Is he looking to back Jake Paul down? Maybe. Is he looking to build an interest and see if there really is something? Maybe, but it's likely somewhere between one of those two. Now, here's one of the things that has bothered me, and I'm very attached to something the kids call social media particularly an avenue called Twitter. And many people instantly gave Jake a hard time and said, why aren't you calling out an active fighter? And more specifically, why are you not calling out a boxer? The reason that's bothering me is from a psychological standpoint, 100% of the people who have chosen to publicly point out that Paul is not going after active top ranked boxers are doing it because they believe that they have solved the mystery, that they have cracked the code, and they want their followers and anybody else that gets their hands on it to see they are the detective that has gotten to the bottom of the Jake Paul case. Well, maybe, but we know that's what Jake is doing, and we know it's what's Logan doing because Jake and Logan 
told us. They told us what they're doing. This isn't some secret. Let me give an example. Dana White went on the podcast that Logan Paul does a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, and Logan was trying to negotiate with Dana for his brother. He wanted to get his brother a UFC contract, and Dana even played a little well. What, can, what weight can he get to? Well, 175. And Dana's going, well, that's not a weight class for us, right? But they had this conversation, just to refresh your memory. Logan then offered in there somewhere about the tremendous size difference that would be his brother versus Conor McGregor. And Dana said, yeah, that's not why we do it. Your brother's huge. And Logan goes, well, you know, that's why I fought Floyd. He just offered it. It was no secret. He said, Floyd is way better, but there's a question of can my size get me through the night? That's what we were doing there. We weren't attempting to adjudicate the sweet sciences under the Queensberry rules, we were doing something else. We were trying to see this David versus Goliath when both guys got a little bit of understanding. One guy's much bigger, one guy's much better. Okay, we knew that as the audience. That was good enough for us. We wanted to see that fight, and we did. We all tuned in for that. They did great numbers. Even on a Sunday night, they did fine numbers. I'm only bringing that to you because there's nothing mysterious or underhanded about what Jake is doing. Jake is very above board. Now, I do think inside of Jake, he would like to fight some of those top boxers. And you guys are wrong and you are unfair. If Jake wants to get in there with a former world champion, do you? Before you think he's doing something wrong, I'll just turn it to you, just personally. Do you want to fight Michael Bisping? Okay, so Jake does get some kind of credit then. And secondly, before you make believe that Jake's only going after big name former fighters, before you make believe that, Jake's the same guy that went after Canelo Alvarez. His brother Logan's the same guy that went after and got Floyd Mayweather. Both of them have shown an interest in getting in there with Mike Tyson. So I, 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 don't, I just don't love this theory because this Paul game that we're playing right now, it's not sustainable. It's not going to be around for long, but we could get another 12 months out of it. It's very rare in this sport that even we, the viewer, get to have any fun. I mean, this is pretty serious business. We're arguing with somebody or it's important to us or we're locked into this discipline and we want to see it succeed. Like, it's a pretty intense sport to be part of, even from the comfort of your living room. But every now and then, you do get to have some fun. Logan versus Floyd was fun. Jake versus Askren was fun. Jake versus T-Wood was fun and interesting. And Jake versus Bisping serves that same point. And I think my larger point is to just remind you guys, there's nothing underhanded here. Now, Jake is not only looking for spoofs. He is willing to get in there with top boxers. Guys, boxers don't want to get there with him. So if you're still on the anti-Jake Paul bandwagon, that's okay. He doesn't mind. I don't mind. But if you're going to do it, there is a level of sincerity and genuineness that we have to show. And I'm just correcting and amending the record that this is not all Jake's going after. Jake went in there after Fury, who's a second-generation guy. Fury didn't have some beautiful record, but he was of the right age, he was of the right size, and he is disciplined only in boxing. He serves every criteria that you guys are asking for. It wasn't Jake that pulled out of that fight. Don't forget that. Jake has asked for Canelo. Jake never rescinded his offer to Canelo. There's another rumor that's going around. I didn't see this with my own eyes. I did not see where Jake called for a fight with Oscar De La Hoya. I didn't see that. But I did see an article where Jake is calling for a fight with either Michael Bisping or Oscar De La Hoya. Fine. Why? Because Oscar's a little bit older? 
I got to come back to the original question. If you're trying to diminish Jake and his sincerity and his work ethic and his heart and moreover his bravery, I got to just turn it back to you. Would you box Oscar De La Hoya? Because a moment ago when Jake was trying to do it, you were saying that Oscar's retired. A moment ago when Jake was trying to do it, you were saying that Oscar's too old. A moment ago when Jake was trying to do it, you say that Oscar's too far removed. But let me ask you, and you're internalizing this. You're not going to have the opportunity. But if you did, would you put on the gloves and go in there and box Oscar? No, you would not. But we're very quick to tease Jake's willingness for trying to. I don't agree with that. You're right. He's not a boxer. That's true. He's something else that got into boxing. But we can't say that forever. If two years go by and he's still knocking guys out in boxing and he's gym, in the gym every goddamn day, at some point he becomes a boxer. Right now, he's the most feared man in boxing. You want Jake to fight a boxer? You're upset because Jake keeps calling people out? How about somebody that you like, that you think fits the criteria, goes and calls Jake out? Because he hasn't said no yet. He has not been called out. Nobody in boxing wants to get in there with him because they're really not as sure as they pretend they are. Think anybody in boxing doesn't want to be a main event? Think anybody in boxing doesn't want to be associated with, with a famous guy and fighting a sold-out arena? It's everything you dream of. You think anybody in boxing doesn't want a contract with Showtime? You think anybody in boxing doesn't want to make a, a million dollars? They want all of those things. They don't want to fight Jake. So if you don't like the people Jake's calling out, fair game. But why don't you get one of these people that you hope he calls out to instead call him out? And until we get to that point, I'm right. Jake Paul, right now, is the most feared man in boxing. So once upon a time, Jake Paul used to train with George Masvidal because Jake wanted to improve his boxing. And it's funny because now Masvidal is the one that's going back to school to learn from others and trying to be a better wrestler. George Masvidal finally came out and spoke since his last fight, his loss to Kobe Covington. And George was very open. He, as a matter of fact, the, the article was titled, I was irate, George Masvidal. And he spoke about that. It wasn't just clickbait, I clicked on it. He talked about that. I was fierce. I, I need to be by myself. Don't call me, don't check on me, don't expect to see me. I'm going to go lock down. I need to internalize this. I need to deal with this pain as a way of studying so that I can move forward. Now, George talked about the wrestling deficit that he had against Colby Covington. He talked about how he's going to solve it. He's going to go out to uh, State College, Pennsylvania. He's going to train with the Penn State team. They've got World and Olympic uh, it's called a regional club out there. He can get wrestling in the morning. He can get wrestling in the evening. He can go out there for X amount of time, get two a days there with the best guys in the world, and everything's going to be fine. Now, I like the article. I liked it a lot because I like George Masvidal. I liked it a lot because George Masvidal is the BMF champion, sitting, reigning, and he's the number two draw in the entire sport. That has not changed. Absent of his loss to Colby Covington, there is only one other name in MMA bigger than Masvidal. It's McGregor. So, but what do you do? Because a lot of guys get up there in that loft and they start resting on their laurels. And you can do that for a little bit. You may get to one of those top spots. You can hang on for a little bit. If you're not still hungry and motivated, if you're not willing to look at the man in the mirror, if you're not willing to look at a fight and address what the problem was as a way of solving it, you're not going to stay there for long. So I liked the article because George was very mature and he did all of those things. Now, and that was my takeaway. 
My takeaway was the number two draw in the sport, the BMF reigning champion, is still hungry. And he's still got the eye of the tiger, and he's still willing to put the work in. But that's where it stopped. I don't agree with his assessment. I do not believe that George Boswell has a deficit in wrestling. I have seen every single one of his fights. He has been out-wrestled twice ever. One was on no notice against Kamar Usman, who is a national wrestling champion. The other one was with plenty of notice against Colby Covington, who out-wrestles everybody. George does not have a wrestling deficit. He doesn't. He has a deficit in comparison to Colby Covington. But I, I bring that point, and it's relevant that you see my point so that I can then raise you. You're not going to close that gap, but you don't have to because you're not out there wrestling him. And if George is going to go to State College, and I will guarantee you this is the thought on George's mind right now, until he sees this, and I hope that I can influence him, the number one thing that George is going to go do is learn to stop a wrestler. He's going to go in there twice a day, every day, seeking defense so that he can deal with the wrestler. That's the wrong mindset. If he wants to go wrestle, if that's what he needs mentally, then that's what he needs. If he believes it, then it's true. But he needs to go out and learn offense. There will not, no, be no better way to shut down a wrestler than to attack him. You've heard this in sports many times. But the greatest defense is a good offense. If you go out there and you're looking to defend anything, it's going to happen to you. Maybe it happens to you a little bit less. Maybe you do better at losing than you would have done if you... It's the wrong mindset. If George wants to go out to State College, learn how to get on guys' heads, get to the body, learn his inside trips, learn his body locks, get a blast double. If he wants to go out there and do that, I support this completely. But he could also go out there for two weeks and fulfill what would take him two years if he goes in with a defensive mindset. Now, another thing. Go back to George's wrestling. When I tell you I have seen all of his fights, that's literal. I've even seen the ones when he was a teenager and he went in the backyard in Florida. I've seen everything this guy's done. He does not have a wrestling deficit. That's not true. There is a couple of guys within this sport who have weaponized pace. If you can turn pace into a weapon, it's a problem. It is the great intangible. You do not have to be as good as your opponent. You don't have to be nearly as good as your opponent if you can attack him five times for every one time he attacks you. There's only a couple of guys that can do that. A 25-minute atmosphere is so incredibly grueling, but Colby Covington's one of those guys, right? I mean, you can be as prepared as you want, guys. If a brick falls on your head, you're in trouble. It's not an excuse or something that George needs to expect. He does just need to be aware that he is not likely to face anyone like that again. And the other thing, George is going to have to be in five-round fights. It's relevant. George versus Colby Covington, even what you guys saw. George versus Colby Covington right now, but for 15 minutes is a different fight. Because now all of a sudden that pacing doesn't come in. All of a sudden Masvidal doesn't have to switch over from attack mode to survival mode just for the moral victory of getting the distance. But some fighters can just go to a co-main event. Some fighters can just stagger their career and make sure that they're not the top of the bill. George can't because it does come back to what I talked about. He's the second biggest draw in the sport. Make no mistake, whatever is next for George Masvidal will be the feature match. So he's going to have to go five rounds, right? Okay. So now you've got a pacing issue, though, which was the true deficit between uh, George and Colby. And secondly, if you want to go learn wrestling, don't focus on the defense. Focus on the offense. Learn how to attack that guy. Just by that, by proxy, you'll learn how he's attacking you. There's a place in Thailand. 
You can go and they will teach you sword fighting in one hour. They guarantee it or your money back. It's $500 for the hour. And they guarantee in 60 minutes you'll know how to sword fight. Now, what is their secret? You ready for it? They use real swords. And I am not joking. You will pay $500 and you will have an opponent and you will have a real sword and so will he. And they guarantee. I've never heard anybody got their money back. Crazy as that story is, this has been around since the 90s. They're still doing it now. There's something very true about that urgency. If my son ever got into fighting, and I want him to be able to deal with a wrestler, I'm not going to do it on the feet. Your options are very limited. You have an ability to understand range. As soon as that wrestler closes the gap, he closed it by getting you into bad position. He's already got your hips. Wrestler gets your hips, you got problems. Now, there's things that you can do, and you can offer some resistance. The key is that once you go to the floor, that you can get back up. That is the absolute key. If you want to shut down a wrestler, you don't have to stop his takedown. You must get up off the bottom. Find a way to get that under. Get your opposite head down. Keep your hip, uh, head up and stand up. That one technique. But if you can do it against him, I see other guys get taken by, by, by wrestlers, but they'll straight arm him. It's called the Heisman. See that Heisman trophy where the guy's turning like this? But you do that with your palm to his head. You lock your elbow. You keep the space. You scoot down. As soon as a wrestler is not on your shorts, he can't wrestle. It's another big key that a wrestler must have that a lot of people haven't figured out. The reason the wrestlers attack the hips and the butt cheeks, because that's where the shorts are. You ever want to give a guy a problem in a wrestling room? Tell him you forgot your shoes. Show up for wrestling practice. If you know you're out, out, on, okay, hey, I forgot my shoes. I'm just going to go ahead and do it barefoot. He will not score on you. A wrestler can only score when the wrestler can touch fabric. The fabric of the shorts are for guys that are really big fools and they show up wearing knee pads. A wrestler cannot score on anything that's slippery, which includes your knees and includes your feet. It's very relevant that you know that. So if you ever are stuck on a wrestler, push his body down so that his hands aren't on your fabric, you'll get right up. And if you get up against a wrestler, he's not going to try to take you down again. There is nothing that will break a wrestler's spirit more than getting a takedown and not being able to hold it. So I just offer this to Masvidal. I like where his head's at. I like that he's motivated. I like that he's willing to humble himself because he will be the BMF who's 37 years old, the richest, most powerful guy in the room, and he's going to go get his ass kicked by kids. It's one reason that nobody in MMA can learn how to wrestle. You either need to show up knowing how to do it or you're not going to get better because as soon as you're in the UFC and you're that big fancy guy, you go in a room, people are happy to see you, and then you got a kid kicking your ass, and that's what's going to happen. Masvidal knows it. He's going to get his ass kicked twice a day, every day, but by the time he leaves, he's going to be getting it kicked less by these guys that have world and Olympic aspirations. I love everything about it. I love the hunger in it. Masvidal did that for a period of time. He actually did it with Colby. Came right here to Oregon, went up to Oregon State. It was a beating, but boy, was he working hard. He was getting that cardio up. So some of it is the intangibles. We always want to look on the outside in fighting. Our train, well, if he would have dipped this way and he would have gone to the body, if he would have rolled this way instead of playing, you always do that. But the truth is, man, how tough are you versus how tough is him? Where was your level of confidence? Where was your level of conditioning? Now, in all fairness for Masvidal, he checked those boxes. He just had a guy, the only guy in the entire goddamn division that can make a weapon out of cardio. I don't think that's what he's going to have to face in the future. But if this is what he believes and this is truly what he wants to do, he needs to answer the question real honestly. Could I match his pace? Is there anything that I can do to up my cardio? Because eventually people will top out. That's another thing the strength and conditioning coach will never tell his clients. Each person, based on their DNA and their VO2 max, 
has a ceiling. You can keep running and keep, you'll never beat this. You can keep doing sprint. You're never, right. You get here that you're there. You're done. So now you got to look for other ways. You got to look for scrambles. You got to look for insight. You got to learn how to manage that energy. Got to learn how to grab this guy. You got to look for places that you can rest, which in MMA is very hard to do. It's very hard, but there are places. You get an underhook. You learn how to control that fence. You know what the danger zone is. You can get a couple of breaths. So these are the things that I think that George needs to work on. The good news is George's still hungry. George is willing to humble himself. George is willing to get better and wants to get better. And I encourage that he do because he is going to return to a main event. Now, staying with Masvidal and the welterweight division, I want to dive more into Bilal Mohammed and where he fits in amongst the division's best. There are no problems at 170 pounds right now. I am enjoying this weight class so thoroughly. And guys, I want you to always keep your high on Bahal Muhammad because he's playing a different game. He's out there competing, but he's also competing for headlines. He's competing for entertainment. Let me just tell you how good Bahal is, okay? He just took out Luke, who'd won seven fights in a row. Luke who was the backup fighter at Madison Square Garden to fight for a world championship. I mean, this is the guy. Luke just needs one, one more little nudge, which he's going to go and get over Blahal, but Blahal had different ideas. When Blahal gets on the backside of that, he decides to call for a main event for himself in the coveted ABC slot. Okay, hold the thought. Back up. Two days before this fight happened, Dana White went on to a major media outlet known as the Pat McAfee Show and said it was going to be Colby versus Chemayev in that spot. What's Blahal inserting himself for? How? Why? For what? You have no chance. Well, no, not so fast. Blahal knew what time it was. He studies his own division. I've come to the same conclusion that Blahal came to. I don't think they have that match. I don't think they ever had the match. I don't even think they spoke to Colby about the match. Now, Dana didn't say they did. Dana just said this is the direction we're going. It was meant to be a compliment to Colby. Dana was trying to say, Covington, who's a star, I'm going to take my star and I'm going to put him in the main event. Whoever wins between Burns and Chemayev is going to feed in that main event. It was meant to be something very sweet for Colby. I was just predicting, much like Bahal, that that's not how Colby's hearing it. And that's not how Colby wants to get this done. It's just a guess. I also wasn't sold on the idea that the organization was willing to make that a number one contenders match. I was leaning towards the idea, with no evidence, by the way. This is just all gut feeling when I heard this. My gut feeling was the organization would lean towards the idea that if Chemayev wins, Chemayev fights for the championship, which knowing Colby the way I do is going to insult him. And it's just not going to work. That was my feel. I have no wins. I never talked to Colby here, okay? This is me, me speaking. But that's what I felt. And Blahal knew his weight and his division well enough to see the same thing. So in his last moments, on the worldwide leader with the biggest audience he's going to have listening that he wants to influence, he inserts himself in a fight that's already done. And that's what we were led to believe. That's what we thought. And now all of a sudden, Blahal came out 15 minutes ago. He just came out and said, I think I'm going to be fighting Chemayev next. I don't think Colby is going to do that match. I think he's right. I do. I've always thought he was right. I think Lahal is going to get that fight. And now all of a sudden, 
it does become a number one contenders match for both guys. I could see that. It's very different. And when I tell you that 170 pounds has no problems, it doesn't. As much as you would like to see Chemaya versus Colby, which might still be the direction we're going. I'm not breaking news here. I don't know. I'm speculating at best. But as much as you'd like to see Chemaya versus Colby, if it becomes Chemaya versus Mohammed, that means it's going to become Colby versus Burns. You got any problem with those matches I just explained? Do you have any problem with any way you want to do this round robin or even this quad? Between those four guys all bouncing around fighting each other, do you have any problem? Is there one that you meaningfully want to see more or do you have an interest in all of them? It solves a lot of problems. If Colby does go on to fight Chemayev, if that all gets worked out and my intuitions are off, it still brings you to Mohammed versus Burns in a most likely scenario. But all of a sudden, those two end up in the same spot that Chemayev and Colby do, which is it's a number one contender's fight for this guy, or it's a number one contender's fight for this guy, but not for both guys, right? Because the parody's tough. Everybody's going to give it an opportunity. Dana taught this industry a new term, and I like it. He's calling it lapping the division. Lapping the division is to refer to, and not only have you beaten everybody, you're beating them twice. And that is a tough spot. To get Burns back in there with Usman is going to take a little bit of finesse. To get Colby back in there with Usman, it's going to take a little bit of explaining, a little bit of finesse. It can be done. Nobody gets shut down forever. You can prove yourself and reprove yourself. We understand that. But those opportunities usually do have a gap and a period of time between them. Colby's gap and period of time since the last time he saw Usman is one contest. Burns, to get back to that spot, is coming off a loss, even if we loved it, right? It's just, it's one of those things. So if you were to have an ideal world of match these up, I do think for ABC, I just think the story would be a little bit better. I do not think it would be wise for Colby or anybody else to pass on the opportunity. Paulo Costa did that. I did not agree. And I think that Paulo Costa's career is different. And an opportunity to go into ABC. A lot of guys don't focus on that in the eyeballs. A lot of guys look for something different. I hear fighters talking all the time about what makes sense. A fighter, the dumbest group that I've ever personally had a bit of, is going to tell somebody else what makes sense. I mean, right? It's just from Jump Street, so it's a little bit weird. But then when they lay their case out, it all has to do with the ranking. They want to fight the higher ranked guy. They should never be asking themselves that, ever. What fight do the fans want to see more? We don't know what anyone's ranked, and we don't care. What is going to get you the most exposure? What is going to have the most people watching? Those are the questions you want to ask, and whoever answers that question, whoever fits that mold, that's who you want your opponent to be. If you can't get that guy, defer down to a guy and then sell yourself on the idea, well, he's got a nice, beautiful ranking. You're going to be the only one that knows, but if that gives you some kind of intrinsic value... And you can falsely convince yourself that beating this guy is going to get you closer to a championship than beating a guy in a higher placement on a car in front of the whole world that the world happens to want to see. I mean, right, it's one of these things. One is very obvious. One gets complicated. And anytime you find yourself trying to get sophisticated in the most unsophisticated business in the world, it's a fist fight. We're not building a piano here. We don't have the NASA whiteboard behind us and we got to figure out how we're going to get to Mars by 2040. It's a fist fight. I want to do the fight that the most people want to see. So I do think it would be a missed opportunity for anybody. I also think Blahal Muhammad has done everything right. And I'm pleading with you guys, 
while you're enjoying him and while you're appreciating him, every few years, a guy comes around and he changes the formula. I was that guy. I changed the formula, but then somebody else came up and they tweaked it a little bit too. I could go back to Colby Covington, who didn't love that they weren't putting cameras on him. He went and hired the camera crews. I could go to Kevin Lee, who wasn't getting the media opportunities. He got his credit card out, booked a whole bunch of flights all over the nation and booked them himself. I could go to Henry Cejudo, who wasn't getting opportunities, so he just steered into it, goes and becomes a main eventer. Guys come along every now and then that change it. You got to study them. You got to break these guys down. Blahal is playing a different game. And he's playing it more intelligently than anybody else is right now. And I also think he's going to get what he wants. I do think Lahal versus Jamayo is the most likely of the rumored scenarios for the coveted ABC spot. To close out today's show, I want to talk about Nick Diaz and what the rest of his fighting future might entail. Joe Rogan had Jake Shields on the program, and they had a great conversation, but one thing that came up, Joe, who's a huge supporter of the Diaz boys, Joe loves jiu-jitsu, but he also goes back, Diaz always goes back, you can understand that, you're in there with Jake Shields, nobody has more information on the Diaz boys than Jake, and getting information is tough, so Joe takes the opportunity, he asks Jake, what's Nick going to do, when's he going to do it, this type of a setup, and Jake's response was, I want Nick to fight again, I want him to have a proper training camp. Now, that's a very simple response. Not a lot out of that, right? I moved right on. I enjoyed the rest of the... I went back to that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What Jake's saying he wants him to have a proper training camp. Is he implying that Nick didn't have a proper training camp? It's the only, the only conclusion I could come to. Is that true? Is that what happened? And the Nick Diaz story got a little hard to follow, and there were some pieces that didn't add up. By example, when Nick and his manager announced that he was going to return to the sport, don't forget, they did a simulated training camp for 12 weeks. They documented this on Instagram, and on the last day of that, they put Nick on a scale, took a picture of it, sent it out to the world. He was 168 pounds. Now, the reason that was so interesting is he's now two pounds under, three pounds under what he needs to be to the weight class that we assumed he was going to fight at, and rumors started to circulate that Nick was going to go down to 155. Now, that was very fascinating. Nick Diaz coming back, he was an 85-pounder last time we saw him. Now we're going to see him at 155. You opened the door in terms of parity in 20 different directions that we had never considered before. Instead, he ends up getting locked in there a meaningful amount of time after this simulated training camp, I should add, with Robbie Lawler. Great. Everything makes sense. Off we go. Three days before the weigh-in, it gets revealed to us that Nick is not going to make 170. They're going to change the weight class. And if memory serves me right, we're going to move it to like 178 pounds, something weird. Then they moved it again to 185. And whether I've got that fact off a little bit or not, I have thought about that in the past. So when Jay comes in and made the comment of, I'd like him to get a proper training camp in, all of a sudden, oh, oh, I see. Something was amiss there. And then you you can only begin to speculate. I'd be making things up if I said, well, he got hurt. Well, he got stuck somewhere and couldn't get to training. Well, you know, the pandemic was going, I, I don't know what happened. But if you do look at a guy that's 168 pounds in training, 
a meaningful amount of time, five, six months go by before he actually gets in there. And when he does it, he does it 30 pounds heavier. I do not know if Nick, at the time of that fight with Lawler, and I will never come off of this. You will never talk me out of this. I don't think Nick knew how well that fight was going. Nick was getting hit more than Nick generally gets hit. That's true. Nick was not bouncing around. He did not have great movement. He was a bit of a sitting target. He did a good job protecting his head. His body was in one place. That's what Robbie chose. But Nick was landing right back. Robbie has a certain unique power, but Nick had a volume. Nick was doing really well in that fight. As a matter of fact, guys, many people believe that Nick won the first round. That's official somewhere, and I don't have the answer for you. But that is official. Those judges turned it in. I just never got that. And he might have been. That thing, when that ended, might have been dead even. But I don't think in the moment Nick knew how well he was doing and how good he looked. There is for sure the critical observation that I've seen Nick look better. But you can for sure explain that. He'd been gone for five years and now he's at 185 pounds. Right? Like there was some stuff there that was obvious that would appear, okay, all we have to do with Nick is get a quicker turnaround. Let's get him in there in three months as opposed to five years. Let's establish a weight class. And now we have Jake's very simple comment that Chael is digging way too far into. I fully admit that, but do you have another way to interpret it? Do you have another way to interpret the closest ally to Nick Diaz saying, next time he fights, I want him to have a proper training camp, other than to come to the conclusion that for his last fight he didn't, which again would explain the weight miss. It might explain a little bit why he was stagnant, what we chose to call Rusty. And I think if you take all of that and you factor in what I'm saying, which is Nick did a hell of a lot better than Nick knew he was doing. Nick might have been dead even, and he might have won that first round. We could even go back and research that. I think that there's something very valuable in that. I am not sold on the idea that Nick should not fight again at all. I am more a proponent to go back to learning a lesson from the first time of taking a break, not taking it this time. Let's take what Jake's saying. Let's get the proper training camp. Let's go 170. We got to pick a weight class. The rumor of 55 and the return to 85, you know what? Let's meet in the middle. Let's find an opponent. Let's do this. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and for continuing to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. Like this one from Rick, who says, Articulate MMA Podcast from an arguable legend of the sport. Well, thank you, Rick, but I must disagree. I am a legend, and I'm going to be back next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.